Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hello, everybody. You know, as a fundraiser, I am a big believer in fundraising uh, as a tool for organizations to enable their mission. But I'm also fully aware and really value some alternative forms of financing that can help organizations do their work in raising capital in less traditional ways. Absolutely. Funds are funds are funds. Exactly. And it's really important as an organization for you to look at and assess those different opportunities. So we know and we've seen organizations build social enterprises as revenue streams. There's so many different ones. And one that we haven't talked about yet on the podcast are community bonds. So community bonds are really interesting. It's like a government bond, but issued by an organization. So it's repayable with uh, defined interest terms. And it allows organizations to collect capital um, for projects and pay it back over time, like a loan, but you're enabling uh, your community to support it instead of putting money back into the big banks. That's right. So those of you who are in the Toronto area, you might know CSI. Center for Social Innovation. Center Center for Social Innovation, which is one of the most well-known examples of a community bond and and probably most longstanding and successful. And um, with that model, they were able to buy first the first building on Spadina and then later the building on um, Bathurst or was it Bathurst first? Yeah, Annex first then Spadina. Annex first and then yeah. Spadina and so they've you know they've effectively leveraged that model to create a really interesting social space. The tricky thing is of course is the payback. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. obviously you know you have to think about well how do we raise capital after the fact, you know, whether that's through a social enterprising activity or, you know, through a, through some kind of major gift campaign, like there's no way around it. Yeah. Like eventually you're going to have to either raise or earn the money uh, to pay back the bond. But it is an interesting way to secure that capital for, for a big project, for example. Exactly. And today's conversation with Ryan Collins Schwartz from Tapestry Community Capital actually uncovers all of those considerations. So what Ryan and Tapestry do is they actually consult with organizations considering community bonds and go through a readiness process to make sure that it's actually the right fit and that they have in place the right infrastructure to be able to both raise the capital through bonds and manage the the process of repaying them. And so your financial modeling has to be really specific and clear around how you're going to pay pay that money back. Um, and, you know, the bond, you can have different terms of, of repayment in terms of when they're all due. So they don't all have to be due at once. But I wonder the extent to which um, organizations who have successfully uh, leveraged community bonds have had those loans forgiven by the community members who initially invested yeah. um, because of the social good, you know, yeah. the social return on the investment. I um, I, I wonder, I, I wonder if anybody's ever looked at that. Yeah, I actually don't know. Um, and I would say it also would probably depend on whether or not it was a 
charity and they could consider it a philanthropic contribution with the, with mm-hmm. the appropriate um, charitable receipts or, you know, and it, almost like a check exchange. I don't know. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't heard of any of those stories, um, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. That's a question for Tanya. Tanya, if you're listening, let yeah. us know. Or Ryan. We'll ask Ryan to, uh, to maybe comment in our social media when this goes live. If you are thinking or have been curious about community bonds, then this is such a great episode for you. And even if it's not, if it, if you don't think it's right for you, uh, Ryan still talks a lot about the, the readiness factors. And those are things that we should be doing regardless of whether or not we want to raise capital this way. Ryan helps organizations across Ontario raise community bonds. Uh, which are a powerful way for nonprofits and charities to finance capital projects by raising investments from their supporters. They allow citizens to invest locally in meaningful projects. And right now at Tapestry, he has an active projects financing affordable housing, a historic rowing club, an arts charity, an international youth hospital, to name a few. Ryan is inspired to help communities develop spaces that make our country happier, healthier, and more equitable. He holds an HBA with the uh, Richard Ivey School of Business and sits on the Social Purpose Real Estate Advisory Group with the United Way of Greater Toronto. So if you are at all curious about community bonds, tune in because this is, you know, 101 everything you need to know. Happy listening. All right, Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Cindy. It's a pleasure. I'm so glad to have this conversation because um, this is, well, we're going to talk about what you do, which is you help organizations prepare for and build out a community bond program. That is, I feel like, just emerging as a new source of financing in our sector. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Let's start with a little bit about what is a community bond and how can it work for organizations? For sure. Like community bonds, although they are new and emerging, have been around for about 20 years. And we've seen more um, and more success with them used by nonprofits and charities. But they're pretty much a way of borrowing money from your support network. So it's similar to a Canada savings bond, but it's a way a nonprofit or charity can borrow money from a bunch of different community members and use that money towards a capital project, and then they pay that money back over time. And I feel like the growth of those have sort of paralleled the overall idea of impact investing in the world and not just in our sector. Have you, like, where do people find... Well, you mentioned their communities, but how can we think about this within our overall financing structure and within that growing trend of people looking to invest with impact and return, uh, which is different than traditional philanthropy? I think like an interesting thing is that with impact investing, there's a lot of like really big groups and institutions and even like Bay Street who wants to be involved in impact investing. And these are big funds and like tens and tens of millions of dollars worth of investment, whereas a community bond is going directly to your community network, and you can offer bonds um, as low as you want. The terms are set by you as the nonprofit or the charity. So you could have bonds as low as, let's say, like $500 or $1,000, and you're able to get a really wide range of investment from the people you know and the people who support you. 
How does an organization know if this is right for them? What are some criteria that they should be thinking about in terms of when a community bond makes sense to help with their funding mix and maybe when it's not right? It's definitely not the right tool for all nonprofits. So we think about a few things. We think about the type of the project, the business model, the operating model for the nonprofit, and then also their community network of supporters. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the type of project. Tell me a little bit about about that. Uh, tapestry around the office. Uh, for the past couple of years, we've thrown out the term iconic project. <laughs> it might just be our own jargon. <laughs> Maybe a little. <laughs> Does that mean anything to you? Like, what do you think about when you hear iconic project? Well, since we've spoken before, but you haven't used that term, I'm going to guess that it's something that will that your organization will be known for, something that sort of defines your work. Is that fair? For Close? sure. <laughs> like, so let's go back to like 2009, 2010, when the Center for Social Innovation wanted to buy their first building. As a nonprofit co-working space, less than $50,000 in the bank, for them to own a building, to own the entire thing, that was iconic. That was like, compelling. And it was something that was going to motivate a lot of their support network to want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So big now, I know that was a capital project. Are these all capital projects? Or is that the best use for community bonds? At Tapestry, and uh, according to Ryan, we believe that it is. There's nothing that mandates what the funds can be used for. But if you're looking to, let's say, um, have these bonds held in RSP accounts or TFSA accounts, they need to be mortgage-backed. And we find that when they're attached to a fixed asset, they give investors a lot more confidence in your ability to repay. Mm-hmm. And also, like let's say in like the case of, let's say something goes wrong, there's it's at least tied to like a tangible asset or building. And the second is just about like visibility. Mm. So people don't want to typically invest to like keep the lights on or hire new staff, but something like a new building or a new facility is something that investors can see, they can touch and they can point to. So I think it's important to mention, I think it's assumed, but sometimes it's not in our sector. Where this differs from philanthropy is you pay this money back. That is a bond. You do. You pay (laughs) it back. You pay it back. I want to be crystal clear because um, I have heard organizations get really excited about the idea of a community bond and they kind of forget about that long-term, like, this is not our money. This is leveraged money. This is money that we get to do something big and scale us up but that it's not ours forever, that we have to have a business model to support paying that back. Can you talk a little bit about some of the, fa- like what we need to think about to know that we're able to do that? I think, Cindy, it comes back to long-term financial planning. Mm-hmm. So with the groups that we work with, we either build out a five-year or 10-year business plan and financial model. And for some of the nonprofits we work with, that's totally acceptable. And it's, it's something that before their first meeting, they even send us their 10-year or five-year forecast. Whereas other nonprofits we work with say, actually, we just do things more year to year, depending on what grants we get. We're not exactly sure what three years in the future is going to look like. And that probably sounds familiar to a lot of our listeners. Yes. Yeah. So is five to 10 years like a good horizon for, for, I guess, the bonds come to maturity? Is that the language? A little bit. And like, let's say, so we're working with a nonprofit 
junior school that's building a high school. So the high school itself isn't going to be operational at three years from now. Mm-hmm. So they're going to raise some bonds, buy the land. They're going to use some of the other funds to do the improvements to the building. But it's not going to be like three years until they actually have students in the seats. Mm-hmm. So really, it's like a five-year minimum that an investor is going to want to see to give them confidence to invest. Yeah. Will that school be in the position if everyone wants their money back in that five year, like when the bonds are, are due, they should be financially viable by that point or look at a longer term horizon, right? Yeah. I think a really big learning point or misconception is Mm -hmm. that there's not just one type of bond. And what we do at tapestry is like, we help you figure out how you want to structure your own bond. So Mm -hmm. depending on what your project is, if you were to do one for like the good partnership (laughs) and build like, we're going to buy a building, you're going to buy a building (laughs) and have an amazing, but let's say like have a podcast recording studio for nonprofits, rent out the space, no longer have to be (laughs) beside the treadmill. Um, (laughs) For our listeners, this is one of the interviews we're recording (laughs) in my home studio. Uh, So yes, we are, I am sitting right next to my treadmill. (laughs) Exactly. You're not just going to say a five-year bond. We're going to raise, let's say a million dollars in a five-year bond, 5%, a thousand dollar minimum. We'd want to think about having a few types of bonds Usually we help groups go to market with two to three and it's for two reasons. It helps you pay them back. So you don't have one year in which you have a million dollars to repay. And the second thing is that it makes it accessible to a wide network of Mm -hmm. your supporters. So um, someone like me, who's in their mid to late twenties, who's just a podcast guest and a nonprofit worker might invest differently than let's say one of your mentors or former university professors. <laughs> that's yeah, that's really helpful for organizations to think about how they how they plan for that. So we talked about type of project. Um, you had three sort of things to consider. So type of project, what was the second one? The second was operating model or okay, yeah, model? yeah. So let's talk about that in terms of what are some considerations looking at your operating model to know if this is the right type of financing for you. For one, like looking at your different revenue sources mm-hmm. and to see what that mix is between earn revenue, grants, and philanthropy or donations. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is looking at what the impact of this new project is going to be. And that's often a a challenge and a thinking exercise Mm -hmm. in itself. So, for example, CSI had to think about, well, if we're going to buy this $6 million building, how many new people can we get? How much are they each going to pay in rent? Mm -hmm. And how much do we have to repay to the bank and to our bondholders? And does that stop the podcast? I just wanted to take a second to remind our listeners uh, who may not know that this podcast is brought to you by The Good Partnership and Charity Village. So a lot of people don't know that both of our organizations are deeply committed to making sure that there are tons of great resources available to small nonprofits in our sector. And so I want you to take a minute to go and access some of those great free resources. 
for The Good Partnership, you can visit thegoodpartnership.com. And for charityvillage.com, there's so many webinars and of course the podcast, articles, the list is endless. And of course you can post jobs there, volunteer positions, posting is free. So make sure that you are checking out both websites to deepen your learning and continue to access great free stuff. Great tips, Cindy. Now on with the podcast. Let's talk about the third one, community, because I hear a lot. I speak to a lot of organizations and it's very easy to get into a mindset of if we build it, it will come. And they don't always think about who that is and how they're going to engage people. And so we often hear that when it comes to corporate fundraising or crowdfunding is one of those big ones where it's like, let's just put this out there and we're going to attract all these people to give. One of the pillars of being successful with this is your community. So what kind of, what do we need in a community to know that this can be successful? It's true that the community bond isn't necessarily the start of building a community. It's often the end. Mm -hmm. It's similar to someone doing a Kickstarter. It's not really the beginning of your business or your network. It's often like a culmination point when your inner circle has seen you working tirelessly for a long time on something and then they support you. So I want to reiterate that because I think it's so important that this is an opportunity to give the people around you who already care and believe in what you're doing to help you level up, to give them the opportunity to both be part of it and be part of your success. And of course, look at it as an investment. What I love about that is a lot of people don't think of themselves as philanthropists. So when I've seen organizations do capital campaigns, you know, people opt themselves out or staff opt out a lot of people just by, you know, the nature of saying you're not, you don't have that, you can't write that million dollar check. And this is a very accessible, a low entry way for people to be able to participate and they get their return, which is great. So, but it is really culmination. It's not like a first ask. This is like, you've been with us, you know who we are, you see it as a safe investment. Let's be part of taking it to the next level. I don't know if it's still around, but Scotiabank had that tagline of you're richer than you think. And I would always see that on the subway, 830 in the morning, packed in like a sardine and just not that didn't really resonate with me. But I like to think that with the groups we work with, you have more community than you think. Mm-hmm. One of the things we do in the introductory workshop that we do with every nonprofit we work with Mm -hmm. is building out collaboratively a stakeholder map. And for a lot of groups, like the first five minutes is really difficult. So let's say like this rowing club, the Argonauts, who've wrapped up their successful $1.2 million bond campaign. They said, well, we have our, our members, our rowers, our juniors, our parents. But when we had to like press them a little bit more. They we said, well, like, where do you get your boats from? Oh, Hudson Boat Company. They're a longtime Canadian boat manufacturer. Okay. They're a potential Add them to the investor. List. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, who's where you're doing a $2 million revitalization of the club? Who's going to be leading that work? Oh, we're looking at this contractor and whose uh, great-grandfather was one of the founders of the rowing club, actually. Oh my God. Like, add them, add them to the list. That is gold. So yeah. it started with, like, Five groups who they thought could be investors ended up with a list that was like 40 plus. And so like a couple things happened is through the act of doing a community bond, they brought more people in to the circle, which improves their operations and their organization, more impact. Also, their biggest revenue driver is renting out their banquet hall. So the more people 
who knew about them, who are part of it, the more people who joined the club. And the second thing was they went to their contractor after the bond campaign launched and three of the members from the contracting company each invested quite a fair bit into the bond project. That's fantastic. And what I love about that example is that they're small, right? Because yes. so many of our uh, listening listeners come from small organizations. And we often see that same, uh, anytime you ask organizations, small organizations to look at their networks, it's like crickets. Like, we don't know anyone, you know, can't think of anything. And again, like, it sounds like it's that same mentality of like, who do we know who can write these really big checks, whether it's investment or philanthropy or opening doors, what have you. And what I love about this model and we believe the same with philanthropy is that everyone can participate and it's really, it's a powerful tool to help you expand your network and, and give the people in your community the opportunity to fuel your success and, and you ultimately become accountable to them yep. as opposed to some very distant, well-heeled philanthropist who has no connection to what you're doing. Like, are there any other considerations an organization should think about or caution, cautionary tales that we should know? Sure. I think it's a lot like falling in love where it's a lot about timing. Mm-hmm. It's all about timing. This introductory workshop we do with groups who are just thinking about community bonds. We've done about 20 of them in the past year. And about eight of those groups have moved on to actually planning their community bond projects. Mm -hmm. About five of them figured community bonds wasn't right for them at this point. And the rest of them are actually waiting for the right time for their capital project Mm -hmm. before the community bond. Because, like, you don't want to raise the money before you need to use the money. Interesting. Yeah. But you don't want to raise it too early and you don't want to raise it too late. So it's kind of finding that sweet spot of, like, how do we best leverage and that financing so it's not sitting in a bank, but also how do you get it in time that you're not you're not taking out loans to cover construction or or financing in lieu of the bonds or in anticipation of the bonds so yeah that's a good point and when the timing is done right it not only gets you the funds when you actually need to spend them so you're not accruing all this Mm -hmm. interest and having to hold people's money but at the same time if i was to say to you cindy uh, or you were to say to me ryan i want you to invest $1,000 $1,000 for me to build my podcast studio. And I would say, okay, when are you building it? Oh, I don't know. We're still like looking for a building. It might be in Leslieville. Um, it might it might be in a shared office on Bay Street. We're not really sure yet. Like that doesn't give me the confidence. It's not inspiring. Not ins- yeah. It's not inspiring, but it doesn't give me the confidence that you're going to have it done because there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. And it also doesn't give me like a sense of urgency similar to a philanthropy campaign Mm -hmm. to actually, well, why would I give you the money now? Because you don't need it. But if you came to me and you said, Ryan, we have this amazing building. It's in um, this perfect place on Dundas. It's just out of the Regent Park. We have a partnership with the Daniel Spectrum in the area. We're going to have local arts groups use it. There's a program that's launching in the fall. We have three months to close on this property. We need to close our first half a million dollar bond campaign. Are you in? Awesome. Yeah. So the urgency is, is, and we know that with lots of other ways of raising money, whether it's through grants or philanthropy, um, you have to have that immediacy uh, and impact. So that's, um, that's great. 
we talked a lot about the strategic approach and how, you know, what are the considerations, but often we find with organizations, there's some capacity and systems issues that need to be in place to be successful in, in undertaking new projects. Like how do you track the information? What kind of bank accounts do you need? How do you manage that? What are some of the systems that we need to think about that will help make not just the raising of the successful, but the management of other people's investments. It's true. Like it, <laughs> it is about systems. So upfront with the management at Tapestry, we actually provide the management services for all of the bonds for the life of the bonds for all the groups that we support as issuers. So it's done at a very, 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 very low cost. And right now we have about $61 million in community bond investment across 4,500 different community investors. So we know that nonprofits want to raise the funds, but don't necessarily want to be managing the funds and dealing with T5s and accruing all the different bond types. We have our own team that takes care of all that. So you focus on doing your work and building your organization. Do you service across Canada? Yes, that's across Canada. And then in the past couple of years, we've thought really carefully about what those tools and systems are, because I find myself even just personally, if I try to use too many things, I don't use any of them. Yeah. So I can speak to a couple of systems at different points in the project, mm, yeah. if that's helpful. Yeah, or some of the ones that you see organizations most, that they just don't understand or anticipate uh, needing to have. One of the first ones, we use Pipedrive as our CRM, mm-hmm. and that's something we use before people actually subscribe as investors Mm -hmm. and we help groups build in a CRM to their campaign website. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm interested in investing in your podcast studio. You'd send me to your website. I'd sign in with my information to have access to the full offering statement and business plan. I would get that information, but you'd also have me as a potential investor with my information. Mm -hmm. And then on your side, your team is able to track all your conversations with me where I'm at in the process, because for a community bond investor, it takes about three to five different touch points and interactions before someone becomes an investor. Unless you have anything else to add, I think we've covered a lot um, and given people a lot to think about in terms of going back to your point about timing, right? Like you have this information now, at some point it may or may not be relevant. You know, this is something that organizations can really think about, especially when they're looking at capital expansion or acquisition and, um, and really taking their organizations up a notch in terms of what they're, what they're doing. Where can our listeners learn more about you and the services that you, you provide? You can go to tapestrycapital.ca you can send an email to info at tapestrycapital.ca or I'm Ryan. You can send me an email to Ryan at Tapestry. And for our community bond workshop, if you go to our website, you can directly sign up and pick a date. And that's something that we do with every different nonprofit that we work with. Even if you're not fully ready to move ahead with the community bond, there are a lot of aspects to it that are really beneficial to your organization. Awesome. So attend one of those sessions. Attend. Our big long-term mission at Tapestry is to make community investment in everyday things. So right now we're in whatever neighborhood we are, but your people are regularly making these types of investments Mm -hmm. in their own, not only according to their own values, but according to their own community as well. 
Amazing. Well, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's do it again sometime. Definitely. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week. Mm